invite you to turn with me now to an Old Testament reading to page 680 in the Pew Bibles, wherein you will find Isaiah chapter 9. It's the passage that speaks very clearly about the anticipated coming of the one whose light would shine upon the nations and bring grace and healing and also authority to himself to govern and to rule. Let's read together Isaiah chapter 9. We'll read the first seven verses here. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I invite you to turn with me now to the New Testament, to the very first book that we have in our particular ordering of the Bible, Matthew We'll read together from Matthew chapter 1, speaking about the birth of our Lord and Savior. This afternoon, we'll be focusing in upon the visit of the wise men of the Magi as they come, especially in their quest, verse 2, where is he, born king of the Jews. But this morning, we'll speak a little bit about the act of this birth and the context of his parents. You can find this on page 959. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall na- call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, next week, next week we'll be gathered here once more in church, provided the Lord does not return a second time, to celebrate a very important event, the coming of our Lord, the first time in the flesh. To this earth. Next Sunday is Christmas Eve, and the following day we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. 
day of hope, day of celebration, day of rejoicing in the gospel message, good news of the loving God at work for poor and weak people like you and like me. So we've turned to the gospel according to Matthew and we read together this short narrative on the birth of Jesus Christ. It's a simple story. It doesn't even tell us that much about the birth itself, where it took place, its context, its setting, and the immediate events that happened surrounding it, as we might read in the gospel according to Luke. Matthew focuses rather on the significance of the birth of this child in particular. Matthew draws attention to the person who was born and the the role that he will play in bringing salvation and reconciliation to the lost people of the world. And so the story that Matthew unfolds for us is both simple and profound. It's simple in its details. It speaks of Joseph and Mary and the angel in direct terms and doesn't go into details on the birth And yet it's profound in its implication. A virgin who's conceived by the Spirit according to the prophets. A husband who played no role in the child's conception and yet plays a significant role in his lineage. And a child whose simple existence brings hope for the world. Hope of salvation. Bearing the name of promise from a loving God for his dearly beloved people. And so this morning, I bring you the word of God on Jesus being born to save his people with the following theme and points. A child is born to save his people. We'll consider first the parents of this child. Secondly, the name for this child. Thirdly, the birth of this child. A child is born to save his people. We'll consider first his parents. Now, Matthew had begun this gospel with the genealogy of Jesus Christ to point out that he was descendant of David the king, descendant likewise of Abraham, the father of many, through whom the world would be blessed. But this genealogy is unique in that it does not call Joseph the father of Jesus. Rather, we can read in verse 16, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who's called Christ. It's that line that Matthew very carefully reveals that Joseph was not the physical father of Jesus Christ, only the legal father. And in recounting that genealogy, Matthew shows to us that even though Jesus was not the direct son of Joseph, he was yet his heir, still an heir, still following after Joseph as the son of David. It's in this context that Matthew recounts the birth of Christ Jesus. Joseph learns that his betrothed was with child, a child that most certainly was not his. A child, we can well imagine, is going through his mind that must have come because she was not loyal to him. She had committed adultery. Since this was not his child, Since his betrothed had not been loyal to him, but had broken that agreement, he made plans to end their relationship. And as a just man, he would act according to the law, careful to keep the law, and he understood that it required ending the relationship because of her perceived adultery. 
Mosaic law in Deuteronomy 22 deals specifically with these cases and calls even for stoning on such an outrageous thing. A public example for the whole town to demonstrate this. And the recurring phrase in that chapter, brothers and sisters, is this command from the Lord, you shall purge the evil from your midst. The Romans, as rulers of the land, did not permit the Israelites to exercise this death penalty. That's why later on, Jesus would be hauled before Pontius Pilate to judge his case. The Pharisees could not sentence him to death. Stoning was no longer the law. but Divorce was allowed, and making a public example was still expected. Yet for all his sense of being beholden to the law of purging evil from their midst, Joseph was yet unwilling to make an example of Mary, his betrothed. He's unwilling to put her to shame, we read here, to publicly embarrass her. The action that Matthew describes here is one of, of public example, public embarrassment, shaming for everyone to see. You shall purge this evil from amongst your midst. Public call to action. The other example in Scripture concerning this verb is Colossians 2, where in the triumphant Christ triumphs over the rulers and authorities and puts them to open shame. The whole world shall know that the rulers and authorities of this planet will not reign forever. Only Christ shall have that power. Joseph, in his mercy, had resolved to spare Mary of that ordeal. He resolved to take a more compassionate route, as private an annulment as he could manage. He wanted to divorce her quietly, as he saw best for himself and also for Mary. And this, brothers and sisters, is the character of the man betrothed to Mary. That even though he felt betrayed, though he felt wronged, offended by the actions of his beloved, even though this would have been embarrassing for him, it would have humiliated him and his community, he did not desire revenge. He did not seek to get back at her. He sought a peaceful, quiet resolution. And it also reflects quietly upon Mary, his betrothed. Now, Matthew does not spend much time describing Mary and her actions. In fact, her role in his gospel is almost entirely passive in, in relation to Joseph. We read more about her actions and thoughts in Luke's gospel. But she was engaged to him, Matthew tells us. She was later taken to be his wife. And she did not have marital relations with him until Jesus was born. And that she was taken by him to Egypt for Jesus' protection. We don't read of the angel visiting her, of her reflecting upon what had happened, of her beautiful song, or, or how she raised Jesus. Luke focuses in on that, while Matthew merely recounts her presence as wife and as mother. But Matthew does tell us that Jesus was born of her. And she is listed in the genealogy he gives, together with Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth. Bathsheba is not named, but her presence is noted as the wife of Uriah, woman in the lineage of the Savior of the world, 
Woman that God incorporated into the lineage of the Christ despite broken relationships, despite improper backgrounds, despite the sinfulness of the men around them. And it was through Mary the woman, not through Joseph the man, that Jesus was born. And Matthew also records that she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. We don't know exactly how this great mystery occurred, only that it did happen. That Mary, a young Israelite girl, a virgin, conceived a son in accordance with the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, blessed Mary by creating life in her womb, giving to her a child, the Son of God. And so, beloved of Christ, we see here this morning in Matthew's short introduction to the birth of Christ, two Israelites, two descendants of Abraham, called to be the parents of the Son of God. Joseph, son of David, a just man who desired mercy for his wife. And Mary, of whom Jesus was born, included in a lineage of broken woman restored by grace. Both used by our Lord God to bring hope and salvation into a dark world lost in sin. Both used to parent the Son of God incarnate. Both used by the Lord in his plan of redemption. It was our God's intent to see both Joseph and Mary raise Jesus Christ as their son. Joseph was to take Jesus for his own son, his legal son of the line of David. And so while Joseph considered his divorce, we read how the Lord sent an angel to him to guide him, to speak to him. And in that message, we learn again of Joseph's role for this child. Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Such blessed assurance from our heavenly God. Joseph has a role to play. The message that the angel brought calmed Joseph's concerns, explained to him God's plan for his betrothed. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In this short explanation, the whole centrality of God's plan was laid bare for Joseph, son of David, a child to be born, a child with purpose, a child to be Savior, Savior of his people. Matthew does not tell us how Joseph felt about this message, nor about the conversations that Joseph and Mary undoubtedly had together. The Spirit does not guide Matthew to outline for us his journey to Bethlehem, but he does tell us that when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as he was commanded. He carried out the will of the Lord. He took Mary as his wife, and he named his son that was born Jesus, Savior. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. With these words, the angel of the Lord laid upon Joseph, son of David, a charge, a role to play in the coming of the Son of God. As the royal heir, it was through Joseph that the prophecy on David's son will be fulfilled. 
legally, Jesus is the son of Joseph, a descendant of David. Just as Matthew opened the book, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. And as a legal father, Joseph was ultimately responsible with a name for this child. Mary could insist all that she wanted, but if her word contradicted Joseph's, the courts would side with him as head of the household. And so the Spirit reminds us of Joseph's lineage, not only through the genealogy that Matthew recorded, but also on how he directed the angel to address Joseph, son of David. We see the fullness of our God's plan of salvation being centered in and around the coming of his son. Every prophecy of the Old Testament turned to focus in on this child to be named Jesus by Joseph, the son of David. And what a beautiful name, beloved. Jesus, as the angel spoke to Joseph, means Savior. It's no ordinary name, no ordinary birth, no ordinary child. This was a child upon whom the fate of the world rested. This was a child upon whom the whole plan of salvation depended. And he's the entire reason we can be even here today, gathered together today. He's the sole reason we're able to lift up our voices to God and be received, that we can come before God. He is all that we have to focus on. He is the gift that God gave, the reason that we celebrate Christmas. Brothers and sisters, we're together this Sunday morning in worship and in praise. And it's only possible because he has sent us Jesus, his only begotten son, to come into the world for us. One who came that we might have joy and hope and peace. And so even though we're at a point in the year where the days are shortest, we can have the brightest joy because Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary to save us from our sins, to reconcile us with God. We may gather together and worship, not only in the beauty of a child that was born, but to celebrate the salvation that comes because he was born. His birth heralds the gospel, good news of great joy for all people. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Our Savior was given a particular name that spoke of exactly what he would do. Come to save. Come to deliver us from evil. Come to make the forgiveness of sins possible. Now this name, Yesu, is the, the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. That means the Lord saves. God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, the one who had a covenant relationship with his beloved people, the Lord God who in his love has a relationship with sinners like you and me, sends one to make that covenant relationship possible to extend it all the more perfectly. His name reflects that. The Lord saves. And Jesus, name of this child, was actually a relatively common name 
for the Jewish people in those days. And so Jesus would come to be known as the Jesus of Nazareth. Listed him with this particular region. But Matthew in this gospel first labels him Jesus Christ, the Greek word for Messiah, son of David. Christ, the Messiah, anointed one of God, the one prophesied about so long ago to bring about reconciliation between God and man. Christ Jesus anointed to carry out a task for our benefit, to save us from our sins. And in saving us, he makes possible reconciliation with God. And this is why Isaiah's prophecy is not contradicted, even though Jesus was not named Emmanuel by Joseph. Joseph acted in accordance with the word of the Lord and gave him the name Jesus. And while that is his given name, one that he bears as son of David, heir to his throne, newborn king, we'll see that this afternoon, he may also rightly be called, as the prophet Isaiah also spoke of long ago, Emmanuel, God with us. For in saving his people from their sins, he makes it possible for us to be reconciled to God. Indeed, when we celebrate Christ's birth, we celebrate Emmanuel in the most literal sense. For with his birth, the Son of God took on human form and dwelt among us. With his birth, we see God coming to us even despite our sins and rebellion. With his birth, we see the Savior coming for us. With his birth, we see the hope of reconciliation between God and man. With his birth, therefore, beloved, God comes to us and God is with us. Fullness of God, fullness of man, God of God incarnate, Emmanuel. And so, our beloved of Christ, as we conclude this year, this month of December, this Christmas season, so to speak, consider not only the peaceful thought of a baby boy laying in his mother's arms, as so many carols like to focus in on. Reflect not only upon the cheer and the joy that comes at this festive season, but also consider the reason for Jesus coming. It's reflected in his name, the name the angel spoke of, the name that Joseph, his father, gave. Jesus. Jesus has come to save He's come to save from sin. And being saved from sin is only ours if we believe in him, if we trust in him for everything. He alone can live up to that name, Jesus the Lord saves. He alone can truly save you from destruction. In him alone can we say, Emmanuel, God with us. For in his work, salvation, reconciliation is possible. Count yourself blessed to name this child as your Savior. Jesus, the Lord, saves. That is what has made his birth so wonderful. Just as the angel said to Joseph, she will bear a son, 
so it came to pass. Joseph did not know her until she had given birth to a son. Joseph named him Jesus, as the angel had told him. Matthew spends far more time with the dialogue the angel gives to Joseph than with the actual birth of the Savior. Indeed, even more detail about where Jesus was born is found as Matthew describes the coming of the wise men to pay homage to the child. We'll focus on that this afternoon. But when Matthew first describes Jesus being born, all that he says is that things happened as the angel of the Lord had commanded Joseph. Joseph woke from his sleep, took his wife, and did not know her until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. We find no mention of the end, no mention of the manger, no mention of singing angels, no mention of wonder shepherds. Only the words of the angel fulfilled, just as the words of the prophet were fulfilled. Of course, that's not to say that Matthew did not think these things happened or that Luke was privy to some secret knowledge, additional information that Matthew was not. After all, the other Gospels do not record the birth of Christ. Mark nor John ought to speak of it, as wondrous as it is. But what it does show to us is that Matthew wanted to emphasize something in particular at the birth of this child and focuses in on these things, his royal and his divine lineage. We've already spoken on how Joseph was a royal heir of King David and how Matthew uses the title Son of David to point to Jesus as the descendant of David, heir to his throne. But to fully grasp the extent of that message, in time to come, wise men from the east would come asking about who he has been born king of the Jews. Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? They've come with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gifts befitting the king. And Isaiah also prophesied about the child to be born as the one who would bear all power in earth and heaven, the one who would sit upon the throne of David. He would establish it. He would uphold it. And he would uphold it with justice and with righteousness. And he would uphold it forever. This is the royalty that Matthew spoke of. This is the weight of the angel addressing Joseph as son of David. And we should not be lost on that. A king has been born. A king's been born to rule with justice and mercy and righteousness. And he's been born to rule over every power, every dominion. And while Joseph would not openly shame Mary, King Jesus, he would put every ruler and authority to open shame in his triumph, as Paul writes in Colossians. The birth of Jesus, as Matthew recounts it, as he presents it to us, points us to his royal authority. And with it, the promise that his power, his authority is not being used for personal gain, but for our benefit. This king was born to save the Lord's saints, to reconcile us to himself. 
His kingdom was not and is not limited to the boundaries that David had established hundreds of years earlier. As the angel said, he will save his people from their sins. And his people include those from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And the increase of his government shall see no end. Thanks be to God for that truth. For apart from that truth, we would not be redeemed. We we would not be saved. We would not be part of that kingdom that increases over all. And his lineage means that his birth was no ordinary birth. His birth was a special one that was to bring hope again to suffering people. That not all would be lost. That no government could stand against his power. No authority would have jurisdiction over him. Brothers and sisters, therefore the royal nature of Jesus' birth means that we even today have no fear. Have no fear of any political power that could challenge his power, his authority. For his authority is absolute. As Isaiah had prophesied, as the angel had spoken, so Jesus was born, named by Joseph, son of David. His birth, as Matthew recounts it, also points us to his divine authority. And with it, the promise of his power and authority being used for reconciliation between God and man. As the angel said to Joseph, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she's found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. That the son of Joseph, son of David, son of Abraham, king, would be savior. It's only possible as son of God to be true, eternal God. In this, we find again the wondrous miracle of Christmas, that the Son of God himself would come to this earth, that he would be humbled to take on the form of man. The plan of reconciliation plotted since before the creation of the world, now found wrapped in the arms of the Virgin Mary. And can it be any other way, beloved? If this child were not Son of God, what joy does Christmas have for us? What hope of reconciliation can we hold on to? But he was conceived by the Spirit. And he was conceived to be offspring of David, to be triumphant, born of Mary, the wife of Joseph, to be king. Let us therefore worship this king. Let us call upon him Son of man, son of God. Let us call upon the one who has established a covenant of grace with us to endure in his kingdom forever. Let us call upon the one born Jesus, the Lord saves, the one of whom his kingdom shall have no end. Let us sing praises to the king who has come as promised. And let us look forward all the more to his second coming from the throne that is built throughout all generations. For beloved of God, a Savior is born, Christ the Lord. Let us pray. 
Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for your grace and your mercy and your truth to us. And you would fully realize that in sending your Son, Jesus, born of Mary, wife of Joseph, son of David. That because of his lineage, your covenant faithfulness can be manifested. Your promises throughout the generations can be realized. The words that you had the prophets speak from so long ago could culminate in this child. A child who would be born king. A child who would be born a man. A child who would be born Jesus, Savior child who would grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And one day, he might lay down that life that he had taken up to redeem us, to reconcile us to you. Help us, O Lord God, as we reflect upon this reality that we recognize that Jesus, which means Savior, is necessary because of our sin. And help us also, O Lord, to recognize that Jesus, born Son of David, His kingdom is one that could increase and extend to also include us who are not of the line of David or of Abraham and are only the sons of Abraham by faith. Help us, O Lord God, to praise you and to adore you and to seek to follow in your just ways in accordance with your laws, just as Joseph and Mary strived to do. Reveal to us, O Lord, by your word, how we are to live. May we do not resolve to do things coldly or clinically, but in your grace, in your mercy, and in your truth as you have revealed to us in all the scriptures. Bless us as we lift up our voices in praise to you, that we may acknowledge the authority and the kingship of Christ Jesus, that we may go forth from here without fear, that we may boldly proclaim the arrival of the king who has come as promised, born of Mary, wife of Joseph. And this one who has come, Jesus, in his name we pray, amen.